0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right, we're going to jump in this word this morning. Um, if you are new here, I'm Pastor Jay Harris. We're happy to have you this morning. Um, And we are in James 5. If you want to turn there, we're in James 5 verse 13 through 19, and we are at the end of a series we have been preaching in James. Um, And this has been a really amazing series because um, James is one of those, you know, he he doesn't pull any punches. He kind of just drops the bomb when he is... Um, you know delivering his message and whatnot so he doesn't pull any punches or whatever and it's been fun to have to exegete that word and kind of pull out and see the gospel in it and how he points us to Jesus and so um you know this is the end right here or whatever you know it's not the end of the road we can still read James if you want to but it's the end of our series and I'm just praying for God's grace to be able to preach it well to you and so He is talking about prayer. I wanna give you a little context first because I think context is super important. It's been important throughout this whole entire book because it gives you a big perspective, but it's important because it just makes everything different, right? So like the first verse or whatever here, he says, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise, right? And so if you read it, you'll just read it like these imperatives or you'll read it like these encouragements. But what you have to realize that's going on with James is James is actually talking to these people who are actually dispersed, right? He's talking to Jews that have been scattered abroad. Um, They are in oppressive situations, so they're out of, you know, they're out of their hood, so to speak, and they're in somebody else's hood, and the people, you know, the, the spot they're in, somebody else runs everything, right? So they're trying to make it. They're being mistreated, and so he's encouraging them, right? He's encouraging them, and he's edifying them, and he's trying to let them know this is how you effectively live as believers in this fallen world and this fallen context that you're in. Y'all with me so far? So let me give you a little, little, little idea, whatever, right? When I take my kids to school in the morning, right? So I, got, I wake up in the morning, I drop off at 9, like 6.30 in the morning, I get four kids ready, then I take four of them to the same school. And normally when I take them into school in the morning, I give them a little rundown, because I'm about to leave them, they're about to go into school. You know school's the wild, wild west, you know what I'm saying? You know, dudes is in there pulling ponytails and flipping those little footballs or whatever, people and stuff, and spitballs, you know, so it's crazy up in there. And I got my little precious little babies up in there. So I usually get them together. I'm like, listen, you know the deal. We can't hit people and you can't fight in school. You go get somebody who's in authority, but if you can't find anybody, and I usually stop it because of course I'm not going to tell them to hit anybody by giving that look like, protect your neck. Wu Tang style, right? I hit him with some Wu-Tang real quick. Thirty-six chambers, protect your neck. All right? And I tell him, I tell them, you know what I'm saying? I tell them to look at each other, I'm like, yo, it's your little sister. Jersey's in here, seven. You know the deal, hit them. You gotta make sure you're good. If one of the little girls comes to me and she's like, yo, I was on I was on, you know, the playground and something happened, first thing I do is I turn to Zaya. I'm like, yo, Zaya, you was you out there? Did you see that? Because I'm making sure that like our family values and the culture of just protecting how we move and how we groove, that they are in on it. You get where I'm coming from? So James, people who probably at one time were maybe his parishioners, they are actually, he's writing to them. And that's what he's actually doing here. He's giving them this encouragement for living as people of faith in this context. This is important for us because the context that we're actually, we're actually in, in the neighborhood, if you want to draw, draw parallels, we're actually inside of a neighborhood and we are focused on a community that in the whole of our city sits as oppressed people, right? So if you actually give yourself to the community and living it and serving it and loving it and everything else, then that stuff is gonna land on you, right? So I don't know about you, I used to go to church, you know what I'm saying, they had like the smoke machines and all that, you know yep. what I'm saying? sometimes the pastor would like just hover out like I I don't think he even walked or whatever and whatnot. he hover out and smoke would be coming you know out of him and stuff or whatever then they do plays like they had the zip line inside of the building like yo this is like Disney World right crazy we don't got that all right we don't got that all right we got some coffee out there for you And if ant comes, you might get some donuts, all right? Only if ant comes, all right? It just is what it is or whatever. But, like, here's the thing. How do we actually live in the midst of hard context? What do we need to know about holding on to the Lord and sticking together in it? And that is basically the conversation that he is having with them. He is trying to perpetuate a culture of holding on to the gospel and loving each other in community. So he says to them, for the practical things they deal with every, every day. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, right? He says, let them pray. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Which praise is just basically, it's prayer. It's being sung out, it's communication about God and to God, right? He's telling them, make a joyful noise. Make sure within the context of your community, make sure you're praying for yourself, but also when things are good and you feel good, and things are happening, maybe your friends are suffering over here, right? If I go see Kev today or whatever, I'm going to go and I'm going to encourage him. He's not feeling well, but maybe I'm feeling well enough and I can lift his spirits by praising, right? So he says, make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. We're exalting God to somebody else who might be feeling a physical ailment and they're just having a hard time seeing God at that moment. You get where I'm coming from? So making a joyful noise is profitable, and I can prove it factually. Because my homeboy, Flame, just sued Katy Perry, and he got $3 million for a song called Joyful Noise. It's, It's the real deal. I'm just playing with you, all right? They're like, he's a prosperity preacher. Relax, all right? But I'm just saying, the song was called Joyful Noise, and there was fruit that bear from it. That's all I'm telling you, all right? You do what you want to with it. Verse 14, it says this. It says, is anyone among you sick? let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is important because they're dispersed and abroad, and he's still actually referring to them as a church. He's still talking about the order and the structure of church, right? He's still talking about call the elders of the church, right? So wherever they land at, whether it's three or four of them, he's still talking about church structure being expedient for them for holding on to the Lord no matter where they're at. Let him call for the elders of the church. And the elders are not super people. They're going to do the same thing that you need to do for yourself. They're going to pray over you. Y'all with me so far? Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. He's setting up culture, no matter what the context, no matter what the situation is, Right? We lost our building in this church before, all of a sudden. I was in a depression. I didn't let y'all show it, but I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And then we did church in the back of the old building with that little weird tree that was intertwined with the palm tree. You know what I'm talking about? And it was absolutely amazing. That was so amazing for me because it was like, God, you're God no matter what situation we're in. God, you're God, and we're the church no matter what situation we're in, without, a, build, without, a, without a, a roof over our head or with a roof over our head. You get where I'm coming from? It's making us, you know, you heard of Ford tough. It's making this gospel tough, right? Verse 15 says this. It says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let me give you a little insight on what this is actually talking about right here. Right? I was jumping around these different commentaries, like, saying, like, what exactly does he mean right here? And why does he talk about being sick? And then he kind of goes into, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. When you look inside the Old Testament and you look at some of the older scriptures, they'll talk about sin conditions sometimes as if it is a sick condition, right? So sometimes when you see it, maybe it is talking about physical sickness, or maybe it's talking about a sin condition that a person needs to be healed from, or maybe it's talking about a person who sins— are actually costing them physically. You get where I'm coming from? So like if, if and, and, and when we talk about the prayer of faith, we're talking about a person who is actually coming into the light with their situation, their condition, exposing it and saying, God, I want the power of God to meet me in my situation. I wanna walk in the light about what I'm dealing with. Whether it's just a physical ailment and I need people to come lay hands on me and pray for me, or God, I gotta, I got, I got, I got some mess going on, right? And he's saying, the prayer of faith is powerful. The Lord will raise them up. Whether in this life or in eternity, we will be raised up 100%, right? We have an eternal promise for sure, but it's even effective for the here and now. And he says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this prayer of faith is about walking in the light, whether it's bringing sin in the light or whether it's bringing physical sickness in the light. And 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We're talking about culture here. They're dispersed. They're, he's telling them to still act like a family. You are family because of the blood of Jesus Christ has purchased you, right? He's telling them, confess your sin because your sin is healing for you, right? you ever had some, a secret sin Or just like something that you're involved in that you're keeping to yourself and it's eating alive at you? You ever heard people like, I need to get this load off of me? Like, literally, the idea thats not not something with a physical weight that we can weigh, but the mere idea of something that is a secret, that is contrary to the heart of God, something that is actually injuring our spirit, right? Because, and here's the thing, you have to be a child of God to really carry this thing because it means the spirit of God is being grieved by something that you have in the darkness. You understand? And God, in his love, allows it to actually nag at you. He allows it to actually weigh on you, right? So you feel like I need to get this load off. Well, where do you get it off at? You take it before your brothers and sisters, right? It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for another that you may be healed. God is saying when we, community for us, looks like us actually walking in the light, confessing our sins to each other. And this is actually a beautiful thing, right? It's actually a beautiful thing. I don't know about you. When I have stuff I'm struggling with, with sins that, that the enemy has beset me with, you're gonna see me a lot less. My church attendance is gonna look funny. I'm gonna betray the community, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, whatever relationship we have, I'm gonna be hiding from you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's depression, shame comes with it. So it's talking about the effectiveness of us confessing our sins. I wanna read 1 John 1 through 5 to you, right? Because 1 John 1 through 5 talks about us walking in the light and it talks about this fellowship that we have when we expose stuff, right? It says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So with our confession, right, is the promise of the blood of Jesus cleansing our sins, right? Like, as believers, our sins are wiped away, but God is always rinsing and cleaning us and taking the load off. And he does it in community, because without this, there actually is no real community, right? Some of y'all who are a little bit older, you'll be able to to agree with this and testify to this. I think one of the things that's hard when you're young is that when you're young, you have like a crew and friends and all these people you know and everything else, right? And then you start getting a little bit older and then you actually realize you never actually knew these people that well, right? Like, some of them were, like, some of the friendships are, like, expedient because just what that part of you, like, like, I party crazy hard. So I have some homeboys that, like, they party great. Some of my friends were too broke to go to South Beach. So I had some homeboys that, yo, you know I got the money. Well, let's roll. It worked. But at the end of the day, when we get into real-life circumstances, do we actually know each other? And then when we get into real life stuff and we start having proximity for real, we start seeing things that we're like, yuck, I don't wanna hate, you get where I'm coming from? It's this false peace we end up having. We, we, it's not true community because there's no real confession and no real knowing each other, right? This is why we hold the gospel in front of us in all we do as the church and the body. Because the gospel, the, 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 the cross sits in front of us and it says that he is holy and we're only made holy through his work, right? We're being sanctified to learn how to confess to each other and build fellowship more and more every day. He's doing this as in his faithfulness, he is doing that. But the exclamation point that we're looking at is Jesus on the cross, and him being on the cross says that y'all are absolutely a mess, so much a mess that God had to come off his throne and get on the cross. Y'all get where I'm coming from? If we just chew on it and weigh what the cross is and who's sitting on it and why he's sitting on it and what it meant for us, that it took all of that, which we can't even comprehend or even quantify what all is. But that, that means our sin is way beyond anything we could ever comprehend. We can't even grasp it. It will rip our mind into pieces. There's no community without the gift of Jesus. There's no power to confess without the freedom in Jesus, right? It's the only thing that cleanses. Maybe we can confess in carnality, but what's the point if there's no power waiting on the other side of it, right? says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, right? Just by telling the truth. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's amazing stuff. That's what we have. That's, our, that's the promise to us as believers our work is loving Jesus more, exposing our sin more, being there for each other, relishing the grace and mercy of Christ. But what do we have going on in our culture that makes it so hard for us to confess? Right? We are very our, our the 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 culture of this world is that you do not want to get caught and be the person that's broken and sinful. Am I right? Matter of fact, we have systems, even in most churches, where if you come into the light and you expose the wretchedness of your sin, we have systems to lovingly flush you out of the system. We have to repent of that. It's not what this gospel is saying. We actually celebrate the person who confesses. It's actually evidence that the power of God is actually working through them, right? I mean, it's foolish for us to actually say that we get the cross and then crush somebody who comes forward exposing their sin, looking for repentance, right? Looking for forgiveness, looking to be loved by their brother and sister, looking for what the scripture says, to be healed, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What I'm talking about is something for us to pray for. God, pray that this church is more like this. I pray that I'm personally more like this, that I lavish people with grace and mercy. Me and Pastor Rodney were talking last night, and I was talking about um, a pastor I used to work with or whatever, and... Amazing person, but would come into meetings and we have a big meeting ready to do what we're doing that day or whatever, and they would just like, yo, I ought to confess some sin. And they would just drop the bomb. I mean, stuff that I'm just like, sometimes I'm like, whoa, Jack, okay, you know, like, but they would just, they were so free to tell the truth. And it rubbed off on our staff or whatever. And I would come in sometimes, I'm like, I got something to say. And I would confess some sin, and then they would just drown me with just grace and mercy and the gospel and Jesus. I would come out that thing feeling just cleaner than ever, you know what I mean? And I just was like, this is amazing. It became culture. It became culture. It felt good to have community to say, this is what I'm struggling with. It's ugly, ugly. I lost my temper on my son, I grabbed his arm, crazy today. feel like a freaking abuser right now. Let's work through that. Ugly stuff, you understand what I'm talking about? The stuff that we don't want creeping out. Verse 16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Scripture is amazing. wanna put it on a T-shirt and wear it around. But the problem is, is this is where the elephant in the room is at, right? Because when you read this, you go, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And this is the time when the enemy is going to come inside of your ear and be like, I won't tell anybody you're not a righteous person because I know what you did last summer. But it's all good. (laughs) But it's all good. You know how we do? I ain't going to tell nobody. So just keep praying. Lift your hand and worship. They won't know. Just keep saying Jesus while they're preaching, right? Right. Satan's going to be in your ear like you dirty little scumbag. He's not talking about you, but I ain't going to tell nobody, right? That's what the enemy does. So the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I want you to be encouraged to prayer. I want to be encouraged to pray, right? I want to be encouraged to pray more and more, whatever. And I've just been reading this text, and I'm so encouraged by it. And it's like when you get right here, the enemy wants to do a sweep the leg, Johnny, on you and be like, this doesn't apply to you. So I'm going to spend a little time here because I want to, I want to make it very clear who is righteous and, and what makes us righteous, Right? so you can lean all the way into this thing, right? Because James is talking about, he's talking about culture, he's talking about community. He's reaching out to his people. I know you're out there and scattered abroad, homie, but we bought by the blood of Jesus. This is who we are no matter where we at. So he's giving them a reminder, like this is how we rock, this is how we roll, and the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, and you are righteous because of this, right? I'm gonna read in Romans 3. First of all, I'm starting in Romans 3, I'm going to start in verse 9, and I'm going to work it on down, right? The section from 9 to 20 is talking about how no one is righteous. So I want you to fill that one first, and then we're going to talk about the righteousness of God through faith, right? It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by, the, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So for those who are under the law, for those who, by their works, are trying to actually achieve righteousness, this is, this is what it is. This is what it was for us before Christ saved us, right? But we're no longer under the law. Christ has done something different. This is, you know, like back in the day when, like, you and your friends or whatever, like, y'all are like, you know, you're on a basketball court. And y'all are, like, playing on a small rim and y'all are dunking. But then it's like... You see the big one and everybody's like, yo, I could dunk that joint. And you're like, listen, man, you're only four foot 11. You can't do it. And they're like, nah, I'm going to do it, bro. I'm about, to, I'm about to lay this joint down. And they run and they just miss the whole entire rim. It's so beautiful. it's form is crazy. They do the pump and all that stuff. And, but then they, it's like there's still two feet up under it. That's what it is with the law. It's like wretched. Like, homie, that was terrible. You can't get it. All right, you can't get it, you can't achieve it, it's not gonna happen. But then verse 21 says this, it says, but now the righteousness, uh-oh, there's that word. Who's righteous, how are we righteous, it's right here. But now the righteousness of God has been, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Did y'all, y'all catch that? the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So all of us who have been graced with belief, because it's not even your belief, it's a gift of God, right? For all of us who have been graced with belief in Jesus Christ, we have been afforded righteous. So when we read this text in James, we need to be like, "That's, that's me right there, he's talking about me. You understand where I'm coming from? Because what Christ has done, because Christ did, like, you know, from the free throw line, the, the Michael Jordan, you know, the pose, he did that joint from the other side of the court and just floated. <laughs> Bang! Broke the whole rim, right? People don't watch basketball, you don't understand. <laughs> and I don't watch it either or whatever, but I did when I was younger, but now I got too many kids. Now I just I just watch Common Core Math, now that's all I do, all right? <laughs> but Christ achieved it for us, right? So we don't, we don't, We don't read this scripture in James and be like yeah that's us because we're cute or because we've done something we we actually we get to actually raise our hand and be like that's us because of what Jesus did we're not testifying to ourselves we're testifying to Christ to what God has done through Christ Jesus the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe that's us who are followers of Jesus for there is no distinction all have sinned and fall short of the glory God glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation payment by his blood to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus y'all rocking with me so far so the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Don't you feel like, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read this or whatever, I was like, man, I'm slipping out here, man. I need to get my prayer game on or whatever. Like, like I need some power out here or whatever. Like, I'm sitting here like God is like, yo, I got you, on me.' And I'm like, I'm not utilizing this. I'm not leaning in. This made us righteous. And God is not powerless. Therefore, you're not powerless he responds to prayer specifically our prayers right and prayer for us it saves us from this false sense of self importance right we we are conditioned to move in our own strength that is the nature of our flesh right it is the it is the it is the the power of the Holy Spirit that compels us to fall on our knees and actually lean into something that is beyond ourselves. That is, that is a miracle. That's a miracle for the flesh to do that, right? It's not just a cute virtue or whatever that we throw on a Hallmark card. It's actually God doing a miracle inside of us when we fall before the Lord, right? We often function as if we can be sharp-tongued enough, eloquent with our speech and finesse people in the coming to Christ. And then when they don't seem like they're bending right, or whatever, then we kind of just throw them in like, you know, storage room in an old box or whatever because in our strength, we couldn't pull that off, right? This is where we slip into carnal things or whatever and it ends up being about our works and our strength. That's why we don't pray, we're too busy being awesome. right? we run into problems every day in our life and they just, we do the measurements and everything we can figure out. And then when it doesn't work like we want it, then we just, you know, throw a half-hearted hope like, oh man, I guess it can't be done, right? And then when we see people who are like extra charismatic and they're like skipping around the church or whatever, like, The Lord did what I couldn't do, came through. You understand what I'm saying? We'd be like, man, he's so crazy. But I'm like, I kind of want some of that crazy a little bit. Because this is what this text is talking about. Coming to the end of ourselves and leaning into what God has given us as power to pray for each other. That he heals us through this prayer. It keeps us in this place where it's beyond us. We realize that we are standing up under a God who is sovereign and reigns and rules over even the practical circumstances around us, right? So we have to utilize this to help our brothers, to keep community, to hold culture that God would call us to, a culture that glorifies God, that shows off his faithfulness and power to the world and our relationships in our dependency on him. Verse 17 says this it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for 3 years and 6 months it did not rain on earth then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and earth bore its fruit. James is James is pointing to Elijah or whatever because he's just trying to stunt at this point he's just showing off He's like, I know some of y'all or whatever, like, you know, you're gonna be like, you know, I don't know, like, all right, that sounds cool and everything, like, I don't know if God really shows off stuff, but like, for these people, whatever, who would be acquainted with the with the words and the story of Elijah, he wants to remind them about one of the forerunners who believed in the power of prayer. And he makes him, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, saying, like, he wasn't that much different from me and you, right? He's cut from the same cloth, but, His prayer game had power. God had his back. When he went to the Lord for something, God actually honored it. So he's using that as an encouragement. In verse 19, this will bring us towards our close, it says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, when I, when I read this, like, you know, he kind of transitions kind of different at the end here, right? This is the end of James, right? And he transitioned and he says this thing, my brother, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All I hear when I read this is, protect the family. It's the culture, right? Y'all probably, if you're in here often, you hear me talk about with my kids like, I hate when they argue and mistreat each other. Like I despise it because I think about me being gone and I think about them not looking out for each other, right? I don't wanna hear like, oh, so-and-so has messed up their life and they're doing this or whatever and like it's on them. I'm like, go get them, go get them. That's your family, that's your brother, that's your sister, go get them, right? When I lay in the grave and rest easy, I want to know that this culture is what actually exists in our family, right? And this is what James is telling them. Like, stay on guard. It's his last thing that he encourages them with. If one of your brothers or sisters, somebody is wandering, if they leave away from the truth, right? If God is bringing them and wooing them towards him, and then somebody comes in with some slick words and, and reroutes them or whatever, go get them. Make it your practice, Make it your practice, right? He's, he's also, he's drawing a line for them also that like, yo, you are not like the rest of the world. So don't kick your feet up and get caught back snoozing or whatever while your people and why the sheep are getting picked off by wolves. Y'all with me? When you're a shepherd and you're watching a flock, you don't get to kick back and just chill. You get where I'm coming from? Maybe somebody else could go, to, go in the corner and bust off a couple of Capri Suns or whatever and stuff and be like you don't get to do it. You don't get to do it. You have to watch all the time. That is the culture he's calling for. Watch yourselves, pray for each other. Walk around when God is good to you. Worship and praise and fill the atmosphere with that. Let that infect people who are going through hard stuff. Pray for each other. Go to your elders that are around you, whatever, and ask them to pray for you. Protect what God has done. Don't let just a change of circumstances switch up what God has done. This isn't a fly by night pop up shop. You understand where I'm coming from? It's like this goes with you everywhere until the Lord comes back, until He comes back. What God has done inside of us through Jesus is eternal. You're a Christian at the workplace, you're a Christian at, at Target, you're a Christian everywhere you go. You're a Christian at Thanksgiving dinner with all your crazy aunts and uncles. Saying, Y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyway. True protectors. Family protectors. The love of God compels us to this. This is what he's done inside of us. James is like, don't get caught snoozing. Don't be nonchalant about it. This thing that we have, the love that we have through Jesus Christ, nobody else in the whole world has it. Don't confuse it. Don't be deceived. Nobody in the world has what we have, everything else is false and everything else is fictitious, right? I was watching a documentary not too long and it was talk, talk long ago and it was talking about how, I think they said like 70% of the olive oil that is in grocery stores is actually fake. That the Italian mafia has infiltrated the grocery networks and like all of the olive oil is actually fake. There's a whole bunch of people with a bunch of fake olive oil calling it love. Y'all get where I'm coming from? That's the point I'm trying to tell you. We have the real deal. Let me read something to you, and then I'm going to close with this. This is 1 John 4, verse 7, and it says this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So if somebody claims to love and they don't know God, then they don't know love. It's pretty simple, right? And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Yesterday, I saw one of my friends who I hadn't seen in a long time or whatever. And you know how, like, you know, you used to run with people or whatever, and so when you see them and they know you, like, in, you know, from, like, back in the world, like, you know, when you all was like, and Now, all they know to do is, like, you know, bring up all your old stuff, you know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, they're just like, yo, and they're just going through the nicknames or whatever, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah, yep, yeah, forget that one, whatever, and they're just going through all the stuff. <laughs> you remember the time I'm like, I do, whatever, and and so they bombarded me with all the old stories and stuff or whatever, and I don't know how we start talking about marriage or something else or whatever, and, and, it, it, and, and so long story short, it ended with me, like, I was telling them, I was like, nah, I was like, bro, like, I actually, like, need Jesus to make it home every day. Like, not to like just be a good man and that's a blanket statement. I'm like, every day coming home, it's the power of Jesus. Like, actually get a miracle every day. You understand what I'm saying? Like 17 years still being married, still walking the door, like, glory to God. Like, have, we have no love. I have no, I, t- I told him this. I have no love to give my wife outside of Jesus. I don't have nothing to give her. I'm like, and I told him, I said, bro, because I was trying to preach the gospel in the midst of the conversation, I said, bro, you know me. You, You know what we do. You've seen what we do. What in the world makes you think I can actually love a family? Can run that lie on somebody else, but you actually know, bro, it's the power of Jesus Christ. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Like we have to become poor in ourselves and rich in Jesus Christ. It's all we have for each other, relationship, for our families right there's no power anywhere else love doesn't exist something false some fake olive oil but like God is our source through Jesus Christ to love each other to know love to know joy to know peace that surpasses understanding even in the midst of being dispersed even in the midst of being in an oppressed and broken context right so we celebrate Jesus we celebrate Jesus. That is what James, that's the, the exclamation point he's telling them. Hold on to Jesus for dear life, and Jesus will empower you to hold on to each other. Pray. Stay y'all. We're going to take communion. Praise you, Father. God, we just worship you, Lord. God, we thank you for... We thank you, Father, Lord, that you uh, can't believe you came and got us in our lostness in our rebellion while we were still trespassers, Father, Lord. While we were deep in our sin, you came and grabbed us and you opened our blind eyes and you gave us the gift of mercy and grace and love through Jesus. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you, Father Lord, for bringing us into your work that you are doing, the work that you have done. But we're your workmanship. You are still sculpting us. (coughs) You are still doing things inside of us. And we we can't make it happen what we can do is receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, Father. So we exalt you and we praise you today, Father. We praise you and we thank you for it. God, we thank you for the people who come up and pray on Sunday mornings and are staying and waiting to pray with people, Father Lord. I thank you that they aren't just standing there as just mere people, but they're standing there as your children, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, full of your power. God, I pray for our church, Father. Continue to center our heart on you, on gospel, on the truth, Father Lord, on Jesus. Save us from our tendency to work. Help us rest in you, Father Lord. Help us to rest in you, Father. God, I pray for anybody who's in this room right now, Father Lord, that the Holy Spirit is actually poking at them right now, is messing with them. Is making them ask questions they maybe didn't ever ask before in their life. I pray that you continue, that you you do that work in them. Father, we proclaim the truth of your gospel, but the Holy Spirit is the only one that brings forth fruit. Only you, that's in your hand, Father Lord. So we trust you and we ask for that, that you would enlarge our family, Father. We just praise you and we exalt you. We thank you for this day. Help us to be a house of prayer for more and more, Lord, that we would spend time together, that we would communicate with you, that we would know the benefits and the joy of being in your presence that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.